When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was a year of incredible political and economic strife and continuing Cold War tensions. But while all this was going on, we were experiencing a monumental time when it came to pop culture and technological innovations. Many beloved movies were released, as were some era-defining television shows that became all-time favorites. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today, I take you back to the year that truly had a bit of everything. This is a look back at 1987. Before we start, if you want to catch up with my yearly reviews, I have previous episodes where I've covered 1980 to 1986 if you want to go back and check those out. And speaking of reviews, stick around to the end of the episode where I do my annual review to look back on the podcast, some top episodes, but then look at all of you, who everyone is and where you're all listening from. Call it my Spotify rap for the podcast. But first, 1987. Even though this is more focused on the top pop culture moments from the year, we still need to look at some of the other significant events happening worldwide. And 1987 is quite a doozy. Here are just a few of those notable events. Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan meet at a summit to discuss the nuclear weapons tension. In June of that year, Reagan would also challenge Gorbachev and deliver his famous speech to tear down the Berlin Wall. In lighter news, Les Mis wins the Tony Award for Best Musical. In 1987, USA Today becomes the first newspaper to publish a digital photograph on its front page. The very first Starbucks outside of the US opens in Vancouver, Canada. And speaking of Canadian money, 1987 is the year we launched our $1 coin, better known as the Looney. An agreement is signed by Michael Eisner and the President of France to begin work on what would become Euro Disney. In the UK, Margaret Thatcher is elected to her third term. Then, October 19, 1987 would be one of the darkest days in the history of Wall Street in what became known as Black Monday. This is when the Dow dropped over 500 points. This was the biggest one-day drop in history. $500 billion in market capital was gone, and 22% of the entire market value was lost. This was twice as bad as the crash of 1929, which led to the Great Depression. If you want some more on this, I have a previous episode all about yuppies, Reaganomics, and the crazy 80s economy if you want to go back and check that out. 
So despite the economic turmoil, the average cost for a home in 1987 was $92,000. The price of a stamp was 24 cents. A gallon of gas was 89 cents. Average rent was around $395 and the average price for a brand new car was $10,300. But now we switch to the big movies of 1987 and it's a very interesting year in the history of movies, especially in the 80s. There weren't necessarily any standout 80s blockbusters like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, or Ghostbusters, but that doesn't mean 1987 comes up short. Far from it, in fact, as it delivered many consistent and beloved hits. Let's look at a few of the notable releases from 1987. The first is a film that gives us a unique and comedic approach to the fantasy love story, and this is The Princess Bride. Released in September 1987 and based on a book of the same name, The Princess Bride is the story of a swashbuckling hero who has to rescue his true love from the hands of an evil prince. The story is as simple as it gets, but the approach Rob Reiner took was unique. The Princess Bride is told in the metafictional style where the audience knows that they're watching a story. In this case, we observe the story as it is read by a grandfather to his grandson, played by Fred Savage. But it also goes more of the comedic route thanks to performers like Billy Crystal and the inclusion of the iconic Andre the Giant, who we'll see again later in this show. All of this created more spectacle to a film that has gone on to become a cult classic. The Princess Bride wasn't a gigantic hit at the box office, but a very good one as it managed to double its own budget. But it's the legacy of this movie that has made it so timeless, and it remains one of the most rewatchable movies ever. Next is a film that was one of the surprise hits of 1987 and a huge box office success, Dirty Dancing. Built on the back of amazing choreography, a great soundtrack, and Patrick Swayze, Dirty Dancing was actually more geared toward teens, but older audiences loved it and gave this movie a huge word of mouth. Dirty Dancing is the story of a dancer who falls in love with her dance instructor. With the drawing power of Patrick Swayze, audiences found out how good this movie was and it went on to make over $170 million worldwide, which is nearly $500 million when adjusted for inflation. When you consider Dirty Dancing was made on a budget of just $4.5 million, this movie was an astounding success. I think one of the big factors that makes Dirty Dancing such a hit was the music. It featured songs like I've Had the Time of My Life, Hungry Eyes, and She's Like the Wind, which was actually written, composed, and performed by Patrick Swayze. And then there is one of my all-time favorite movies that came out in the summer of 1987. It was a unique movie that was a parody of the biggest science fiction movie of all time, but still somehow managed to stand on its own. Spaceballs. The Mel Brooks classic took all the familiar things we loved about Star Wars, but managed to create its own identity. And if you ever thought that Spaceballs seemed to stand alongside Star Wars in that the special effects and cinematography actually look good, 
That's because George Lucas was actually involved with this. Not only did he approve of what Mel Brooks was doing, but he also allowed the production to use industrial light and magic to create the movie's effects and post-production. But the one thing Lucas did control, which is referenced so well in the film, is preventing them from releasing any Spaceballs merchandise, where the real money from the movie is made. From the Flying Winnebago to Pizza the Hut, and with the legendary Rick Moranis as Darth Helmet, Spaceballs was a massive hit. Personally, this movie became an integral part of my very vocabulary, and I once even acted out one of the Darth Helmet scenes in public school for a class presentation. It did not go over well with the teacher. And let's look at some other notable films released in 1987, because there's quite a few. We've got Harry and the Hendersons, Ernest Goes to Camp, Full Metal Jacket, Robocop, Revenge of the Nerds 2, La Bamba, Fatal Attraction, Moonstruck, Batteries Not Included, Good Morning Vietnam, Adventures in Babysitting, Lethal Weapon, Wall Street, The Lost Boys, Who's That Girl, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Empire of the Sun, and the, let's call it disappointing, Masters of the Universe, along with the infamous Garbage Pail Kids movie. This is what I mean in that there wasn't necessarily a standout year-defining movie from 1987, just a wide range of very consistent and long-lasting hits. It may really be one of the best years for movies for the entire decade. And here are the highest-grossing films for 1987. Leading the way was the follow-up to the enormously successful Beverly Hills Cop with Beverly Hills Cop 2. It made around $153 million. Converted for today, that's around $400 million. An astounding result for a comedy sequel, which tend not to perform as well. The second highest grossing film of 87 was Platoon. Number three, Fatal Attraction. Four, The Untouchables. At number five, built on the urban legend that a ghost appeared in the movie, which led to more ticket sales and eventually a ton of home video rentals, was Three Men and a Baby. Number six, The Secret of My Success. And number seven, Stakeout. Number eight was Lethal Weapon. Number nine, The Witches of Eastwick. And rounding out the top 10 was Predator. At the Academy Awards in 1987, Best Actor went to Paul Newman for The Color of Money. Best Actress went to Marley Matlin in Children of a Lesser God. Best Director was Oliver Stone for Platoon and Best Picture also went to Platoon. And speaking of movies, I have covered several classics from 1987 over at Patreon on the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, including Robocop, Wall Street, The Princess Bride, and The Lost Boys. If you want to check those reviews out or learn more about supporting the show, you can head to patreon.com 80s or click on the link in the show description. Moving over to the world of music, 1987 was an astounding year with much of the top 40 a mix of classic pop and rock. Here is the year-end top 10 singles according to Billboard. Number 1, Walk Like an Egyptian by The Bangles. Number 2, Alone by Heart. Number 3, Shake You Down by Gregory Abbott. Number 4, I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Number five, my personal favorite, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship. Number six, Say La Vie by Robbie Neville. 
Seven, Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. Eight, The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby and The Range. Nine, Shakedown by Bob Seger. And at number 10, the unofficial karaoke anthem, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. But scattered throughout the Billboard Top 100 are so many monumental songs. Some that stuck out to me include With or Without You by U2 at number 15, I Think We're Alone Now by Tiffany and Moni Moni by Billy Idol at 18 and 19, and Who's That Girl by Madonna, which was all the way down at number 42. When we look at the top albums of 1987, this is where it gets interesting, as this year produced some truly, truly iconic albums. If we're going by album sales, here's what the top 10 looks like. After a five-year break from Thriller, Bad by Michael Jackson was unsurprisingly the best-selling album of the year. It was another astonishing record that, besides the title track, included songs like The Way You Make Me Feel, Man in the Mirror, Dirty Diana, and Smooth Criminal. Number two was the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Number three, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Number four, Faith by George Michael. Number five, Hysteria by Def Leppard. Number six, The Joshua Tree by U2. Number seven, Whitney by Whitney Houston. Number eight was Tango in the Night by Fleetwood Mac. Number nine, Kick by In Excess. And number 10, Introducing the Hardline according to Terrence Trent Darby by Terrence Trent Darby. So that's album sales, but when we look at Billboard and which albums spent the most time at number one, here's how it plays out. The top album of the year would be Whitney by Whitney Houston, which was number one for 11 straight weeks. The Joshua Tree by U2 would be next with nine weeks at number one. Then there is a three-way tie with seven weeks at number one between the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi, and even though it came out in 1986, Licensed to Ill by the Beastie Boys. Surprisingly, Bad by Michael Jackson was only number one for six weeks, and the La Bamba soundtrack spent two weeks at number one. Now we move to the world of technology, and 1987 is an interesting one. We don't necessarily have many groundbreaking innovations, but continuation and improvement on some existing technology that we were now more familiar with. Here are a few examples. The first wireless local area network standard, IEEE 802.11, was approved in 1987. This standard provided the foundation for the development of modern wireless networking technologies. And related to this, the first commercially available GPS receiver, the Magellan Nav 1000, was released in 1987. This device, which was about the size of a large suitcase, was primarily used by the military and aviation industry. The first version of the Macintosh operating system to include a graphical user interface or GUI system 1.0 was released in 1987. This marked a significant milestone in the development of the Macintosh platform and set the stage for future versions of the operating system. Apple also released the Apple IIGS, which was a 16-bit and their first computer with a color graphical user interface. 
And a big change was happening in that the price of the 2GS was only $999 compared to the $2,495 that it cost to buy a Macintosh. One interesting development in the tech and automotive world was by General Motors. 1987 was the year of the World Solar Challenge, the very first solar power car race. It was won by the General Motors Sun Racer. The Sun Racer is considered the godfather of the electric car, and its solar panels produced 1,500 watts, which allowed it to hit speeds of nearly 70 miles per hour. In the video game world, the best-selling game of the year was Zelda II The Adventure of Link for the NES. And last but not least was the introduction of the IBM PC Convertible 5150. This was the world's very first laptop. It cost $2,000 or 5,200 converted for today, had 256 kilobytes of RAM, and weighed 13 pounds. Next, we have the release of several TV shows that may make 1987 the best year for TV of the entire 1980s including the debut of some characters that would go on to define pop culture as we knew it. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 1987 was another banner year for TV as it continued to be the driving force of entertainment in our lives. Let's look at three significant shows that debuted this year. And they all have to do with family. On September 27, 1987, a new show debuted that featured a widowed father of three who moves in with his brother-in-law and best friend. Full House was an extremely important show for the ABC network as it ushered in a new era of sitcoms that followed a familiar tone, format, and structure. Full House became part of the backbone of the original TGIF Friday night lineup before it moved to its own night as the story of the Tanner family was an absolute ratings juggernaut for the network. If you want some more all about the origins of TGIF on ABC, I have a previous episode all about it if you want to go back and check that out. But on the complete Opposite end of the spectrum from Full House was another family-based sitcom that debuted on a new fourth network called Fox. And that show was Married with Children. She's her own customer, Steve. All this time she's been buying all this stuff herself. (laughs) Al, your life is pathetic. Married with Children is the story of Al Bundy, a former high school football star who once scored four touchdowns in one game, but whose life went in the complete opposite direction he was hoping. He is married to Peg and has two kids, Bud and Kelly. 
Married with children was unique in that it was the polar opposite of all the squeaky clean family sitcoms out there that's primary message was about hugging, sharing, and learning. Controversial and often offensive, the show set out with the approach that there's no such thing as bad publicity. And it worked, as it went on to become one of the longest-running sitcoms ever, as its raunchiness drew a lot of attention to the new show and fledgling network. The uncomfortable truth was the average family was probably more like the Bundys than they were the Tanners or the Seavers, Cosbys, or Keatons. And speaking of dysfunctional families, next we have what is probably one of the most important debuts in the history of pop culture. On April 19, 1987, a short cartoon appeared on the Tracy Allman Show that would not only go on to create a pop culture explosion, but became one of the most important shows in the history of television. The crudely drawn cartoon featured a family of five based on the family of its creator, Matt Groening. Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa, and Maggie, better known as The Simpsons, started out as a one-minute feature on the third episode of The Tracy Allman Show. In that very first short, the three kids are being tucked into bed by Homer and Marge. The Simpsons would appear in these shorts 48 different times before being given their own full animated series on December 17, 1989. The Simpsons obviously will need its own episode to go into the true importance of this groundbreaking show. But if you were like me growing up, this was more than just a show and was a genuine part of my identity. Besides these three significant debuts, several other important shows first aired in 1987, including Star Trek The Next Generation, 21 Jump Street, The Bold and the Beautiful, here in Canada, Degrassi High, Jake and the Fat Man, A Different World, which made a huge splash when it debuted, which we'll get to in a moment. Next was Good Morning, Miss Bliss, which was technically the prequel that gave us Saved by the Bell. And the show that scared the ever-living crap out of me, Unsolved Mysteries. And then there was one other significant cartoon that, like The Simpsons, would go on to become a true pop culture juggernaut. Unless you were an avid comic book reader, December 14, 1987 is when many people first met Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Raphael, better known as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The debut episode entitled Turtle Tracks introduced us to the origin story of the turtles and the wide range of characters, including April O'Neil, Splinter, and Shredder. But unlike the quite dark overtones and themes of the original comic book series, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon would take the franchise in a more wacky, slapstick direction. This made it more accessible to younger kids. The cartoon series, which if you're from the UK, you knew as the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, was released in conjunction with a new line of toys marking the beginnings of a multi-billion dollar franchise. And let's look at the highest rated shows for 1987, according to Nielsen. As usual, The Cosby Show continued to dominate the ratings with a mammoth 27.8 rating. The average episode of The Cosby Show was attracting around 30 million viewers a week. 
That's like the entire population of Venezuela turning in per show. To put this into context, the best season of Modern Family would pull in around 17 million viewers. Number two was a different world that wasn't far behind the Cosby show with a 25 rating. Number three was Cheers with a 23.4. At number four was The Golden Girls at 21.8. Five was Growing Pains, 21.3. Six was Who's the Boss with a 21.2 rating. At number seven was Night Court with a 20.8. Eight was 60 Minutes, which had now taken a considerable drop, but was still getting a 20.6 rating. Number 9 was Murder, She Wrote with a 20.6. And at number 10 was a tie between one of my all-time favorites, Alf, and The Wonder Years with an 18.8 rating. 1987 was an interesting year as NBC was starting to move into more prominence as it featured the four highest-rated shows. And they would continue to be the network leader for years to come. This takes us into the major sporting events of 1987. So we're coming off a World Cup year in 1986, and 1988 would have a Summer Olympics. But there were still some very big world sporting events in 87. This was the year the very first Rugby World Cup was held. It was co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand, and eventually won by New Zealand. 1987 also gave us the Cricket World Cup, where Australia defeated England, which obviously went down just fine in England. Also in cricket, Sunil Gavaskar scored 10,000 test runs to become the very first player to ever reach this mark. 1987 is also the year of the infamous punch-up in Piastani. I just covered this in a full episode if you want to go back and listen, but this is the year when a vicious on-ice brawl took place between Canada and the Soviet Union at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Let's look at some other major sporting events and winners from 1987. Wimbledon was won by Pat Cash and Martina Navratilova. The Masters in Golf was won by Larry Mize. Mike Tyson continues to dominate boxing and adds the WBA heavyweight belt to his collection. Also in boxing, Sugar Ray Leonard defeats marvelous Marvin Hagler to win the middleweight championship. The Super Bowl was won by the New York Giants. The World Series went to the Minnesota Twins. The LA Lakers continue to win, taking the NBA championship. And in the National Hockey League, the Edmonton Oilers win their third Stanley Cup. And even if you don't consider it a sport, even though kids like me did, in the world of sports entertainment, 1987 was the year of WrestleMania 3. Held at the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan, this was considered the largest indoor crowd ever in North America, with 93,173 people in attendance. This number has actually been disputed, but regardless, WrestleMania 3 was the peak event during the wrestling boom of the 80s and pitted Hulk Hogan against the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. This is the match where Hogan did the impossible by not only beating Andre, but body slamming him in the process. We're seeing what this guy is really made of, what he is, the greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at this. He's
So no matter what way you cut it, 1987 was a truly remarkable year. Politically, culturally, economically, you name it. This was a year of profound events that forever shaped our world. And as mentioned, I want to finish with my own year in review where I look back over the last 12 months of the podcast. So you know how Spotify has its Spotify rap for music. Well, they also share a lot of similar type information with podcast creators, and it helps to give us a good snapshot of everyone that listens to the show. So I thought I would share this with you. So who are all of you and where are you listening from? Well, as of right now, this podcast has been heard in 83 different countries, including some places like Malta, Czechia, Peru, even Latvia and Zimbabwe, which really blows my mind. And here are the top 10 most listened to countries and a few of my connections with some of them. First is the U.S. at number one, which has been like a second home to me. Not only do I live right near the American border, but I spent years living and working there, and my very best friends are from the U.S. The country that listens the second most is my home country of Canada, which is great because this hasn't always been the case, and the land of Michael Buble was often lowered down on this list. Number three is my other home, the U.K., If this is your first time listening, I was born in Canada but grew up between here and the UK. I have English citizenship, so I was lucky enough to experience the pop culture of the 80s from an English perspective as well, including things like Blue Peter, Neighbors, and Banana Man. Number four on the list is Mexico, another place I've been to and is just astounding to visit. The country that the show is the fifth most popular is Australia. And I lived in Sydney for a little while. I have some friends and family over there, and yes, I enjoy Vegemite. Number six is a country I also lived in for a little bit, New Zealand. I spent a lot of time in Auckland and traveled throughout your jaw-droppingly stunning country. Number seven on this list is good old Ireland. I have some friends from there, and I've been a bunch, and this is a tip I always give to anyone traveling anywhere. If you want to have a good time, just look for the Irish people. Number eight and nine on this list is actually the Philippines and then Iceland. Two more countries, of course, that I'm dying to visit. And at number 10 for most listened to country is Brazil. I did a good chunk of traveling around Brazil years ago, mainly stayed up around the Northeast area. But to say your country is beautiful is a massive understatement. So that's where you're from. But who are you? Well, age-wise, 45% of you are between the age of 45 to 59. The next biggest age range is 35 to 54, and you make up 36.04% of all listeners. After that, 9.85% of all listeners are in the age range of 28 to 34. But there are more. 4.5% of you are aged 23 to 27, and 1.2% are 18 to 22. And then there are 1.97% of you that are 60 to, and I'm not making this up, 150. Spotify, for some reason, has this demographic. I'm not sure if any of you are 150 years old, but I guess thank you for listening. And please let me know what it was like living in the Old West and what you thought when you first saw the light bulb invented. So what episodes did you like best? 
If I go by the number of listeners, the top three shows were at number three, A Look Back at the Year 1986. Number two was The Battle Between VHS and Beta, one of my very favorite topics. And the number one most listened to and downloaded show of the year was Halloween in the 80s. The worst show of the year when it came to number of listens and downloads? The Complete Stranger Things Season 4 Recap. So you either hadn't finished watching the show or just hated the episode. And thank you to everyone who shares this show. Spotify says that the Everything 80s podcast was in the top 5% most shared globally. And also, here's what else you've been listening to music-wise according to Spotify. You all seem to love Bing Crosby, amazing, Frank Sinatra, love it, Nat King Cole, iconic, Taylor Swift, I'll allow it, and Michael Buble, which is perfect. So I'll finish it there, but thank you so much for being here today, whether this is the first episode you've listened to or if you've been here from the very beginning. And thank you to Andrew, Dila, Dunner, Rob, and everyone at Curious Cast. But thank you for being a part of the show and listening so that I can share my love of the 80s with you. It wouldn't happen without you. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. Hold up. 